It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, Agent Kruger, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Discord, and Reddit. Links in the description. This week's episode, The Robert Taylor Incident. Also known as the Livingston Incident or the Deckmont Woods Encounter. It's spelled D-E-C-H-M-O-N-T. And I kind of want to do that like a Deckmont, de- like kind of like a, a French kind of a deal, but... Watch your language. Well, I mean, that's, that's, how, that's more so how they pronounce it in Scotland. Yeah. Dech. But I heard somebody else yeah, saying so, Deckmont. Yeah. So I guess uh, if we say Deckmont, that's probably easier to say anyways. Yes, A.G. Neither. Oh, you got you got a mind boggle for us. You were very insistent. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't insistent. I just thought that it, it was a. I just, <laughs> I just thought that it was a good topic. Anyways, before we get to the mind boggle, I'd just like to say thanks and shout out to Foxy R from Discord who suggested this week's topic, and I had heard about it before. I've read about this one before. I just forgot the fellow's name. But when I started looking into the case again, I said to myself, oh, yeah, I remember this. All right. Anyway, so let me hit the music and you have you going to do the intro. Strange events, bizarre, whatever. You're not. okay. fine. I'll do that. I don't know the whole thing. Oh, it's 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 super hard. Okay, here we go. Strange events, bizarre facts, the unbelievable revealed. This is the mind boggle of the week. Perfectly balanced, big, giant rocks. (laughs) <laughs> All right. oh, I'm holding back. I'm holding back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that exciting intro, Agent Anderson. You're welcome. Have you guys heard of these Logan stones? This sounds familiar. I thought maybe Agent ETA would know about them. We actually went up to Truckee, and I was really excited because it's kind of a little tourist trap. And up uh, at like the top of the hill next to... What was it? Some sort of veteran center. There was this rocking or Logan stone. And Logan may have roots in the Danish word meaning to wag the tail, which I thought was kind of funny. Huh. Yeah, they're like, well, maybe it's English and it means to rock. But I like wag the tail better. So as Agent Anderson said, they're uh, big, heavy boulders. And they can be moved back and forth with a small amount of pressure or force, but they do not shift. So I thought they were kind of cool. Uh, the largest, well, one of the largest is Runkensten, and it's in between Copenhagen and Stockholm in Sweden. It's five meters high, four meters wide, 10 meters long, and it weighs, I think that says 260 tons. So for comparison, yes, yeah, so it's a big rock. For comparison, an elephant can weigh up to seven tons, and if you push it, you apply all your muscle, you can move it about 10 centimeters. And that doesn't sound like a lot of movement, but it's a really big rock, and it weighs a lot. So the fact that you can move it at all 
is really cool. And the largest Logan stone weighs 475 tons. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I'm a little bit familiar with this. I'm looking, I'm actually looking at pictures of it because it, it sounded, when he said Logan stones, I was like, oh, I know I've heard that term before. I know. I and, know. Uh, that yeah. You so know. I mean, these are, ex- yeah, these are, these are, uh, uh, very large rocks perched, uh, precariously on top of smaller rocks kind of, yeah, I guess, you know, some of them look like they've been, you know, eroded away to the, this point in which they are, you know, uh, I don't know how that happens. I'm not, an erosion specialist. I mean, there's so many types of erosion. Anyways, I guess but, they, they erode like onions. These, these, there's like this spherical erosion and they uh-huh. erode like they peel off and then, you know, it weathers down from the bottom and then you get that fulcrum. Yeah, because some of these had, you know, uh, the reason why they're weathered the way they are, from what I understand, is because they had softer material surrounding it and sometimes like the core of uh, the body is, you know, harder than the outside. So um, it has, you know, uh, eroded away to this point because of how it was, uh, you know, how this, how the stone was originally constructed, I guess you'd say, whatever, what it was originally made out of. But yeah, these things are pretty cool. I, I've, I've seen these before and like, it's one of those like uh, geological anomalies where like, you're like, well, how the hell did that happen? You know? Well, it's, really, it's just an odd thing. It's one of those odd things like as soon as you see it, I want to go tip them, but a lot of ones, they won't let you tip them because it'll, uh, you know, if you mess with it, people graffiti it, they (laughs) they literally try and move it. They get a bunch of their friends to stand on top of it and then it shifts. And actually the one in Truckee had been cemented into place. So that was kind of a disappointment. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they probably did that as a reaction to somebody messing with it or something, you know. I, I, I definitely agree that, we, you know, you shouldn't mess with uh, these kind of structures and stuff because it took so, who knows how long it took to to get to that point, you know, how long the erosion took. But I can understand kind of the, the I don't know, the, the appeal, the want to do something like that. Like, like don't get me. Don't get me wrong. Every time, yeah, the appeal, you know, the allure. Every time I see a red button, I want to hit the damn thing. You know, like, I don't care what it does. You know? Uh, yes. <laughs> Who gives a crap? It's a red button. That needs hitting. Well, the one in Truckee, you could just you know? touch it with your <laughs> fingertip and it would rock. And local legend says the Native Americans would put, like, food up at top, like fish and to dry stuff out. And that's because if animals or birds came, it would tip it and then they would go away. <laughs> so they couldn't get the food. That's very interesting. I thought so too. Uh, so there's some local legends surrounding them. You know, they only recently discovered how they were formed. And so in different places, they have different legends. And a lot of them are supernatural in origin. For example, in Cornwall, if you touch the stone nine times at midnight, you'll turn into a witch. There's, oh boy! Yeah, there's a lot of. I heard some witches have witches. some pretty sweet powers sometimes. So yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't mind being a witch. Sounds like a good deal to me. I love me. how the un- unexplained, the unexplained is always just chalked up to a witch. Murder. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, as long as I don't, I don't get like a bug, a big like hooked nose with like warts and stuff on it. You know, like the you know, yeah, like the stereotypical uh, Disney witch or whatever. That'd be a fair trade. Yeah, yeah. If I was a witch, I'd want to be cute as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what your spells are for, right? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to be cute. You just have to put a spell on everybody and make them perceive you that way. Okay, I got my joke now. What do you call a rock that's 1,760 yards in length? 
I'm getting kind of political here, aren't we? All right, all right, I'll play along. It's a Just milestone. Hardy, <laughs> <laughs> har har. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Crack myself up. <laughs> all right. Is that your mind boggle, Agent Ether? That's my mind boggle. Today is actually April 1st. I had a really good idea for our show for an April Fool's Day show, but I didn't write it down and I um I forgot what the idea was. <laughs> That's a sad story. I know. But <laughs> this morning on Twitter, I see uh, a tweet from uh John Greenwald Jr. of the Black Vault. He tweets that uh his a picture saying his site got seized by the FBI. And it looks all official and stuff. So I'm like, ah, so I retweet it. And I, I retweet it with the explanation saying, what? And then um, I, I went to his website and it was fine. Every, as I checked it and it was there. So I was like, wait a minute. It's April 1st, isn't it? Ah, got me. <laughs> it was a pretty good one though. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty good, as far as April Fool's jokes go, that was a pretty decent one. All right. Well, let's get into this week's topic. So we're talking about the Robert Taylor incident. And this one, like I said, is sometimes called the Livingston incident or the Deckmont Woods encounter. This one is remarkable because it's the only UFO sighting or encounter in the UK that resulted in a criminal investigation. <laughs> so I guess uh, I'm not sure if they ever pressed charges against the UFO, but they were taking this pretty seriously. The the police were, I mean. <laughs> well, you know, one of the one of the things I actually thought was kind of cool about this case was how seriously it, it seems like like uh, Taylor was taken. Like, it seems like everybody around him was taking him pretty seriously, and like you know, taking it. You know, they were believing believing that he saw something, and that he believed what he was saying at least. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the the dude. And got, not only that, I mean, the guy was a very well respected person. He was a war hero. Yeah, the dude got kind of messed up. So when he got home, and he was all disheveled and bleeding and stuff. I mean, that's, that's not like somebody just telling a story Like he had actual physical injuries and stuff. So, I mean, at the very least they, you know, but anyways, let's get, let's start at the beginning. So Mr. Taylor, he was, uh, as agent ETA said, he was a war veteran. He was a tank driver during the war and, uh, during world war two. And, um, he was, uh, at the time of the sighting, which is in 1979, he was working as a forester and he had 16 years of experience working as a forester for the Livingston Development Corporation. And that that uh, deep experience will be important later on, perhaps, when we're discussing possible causes. So they were planning and maintaining a forest in the area near Deckmont Law, which is a, a hill or a local landmark that everybody should be familiar with in the area. And that's in uh, in Scotland. I don't know if I said Scotland or not yet, but that's that's what we're talking about here. In case you're not used to the uh, local geography, so he went out to part of his job was checking to make sure gates were opened and closed correctly, and to just keep an eye on area the area, make sure the trees were growing the way they're supposed to, stuff like that. So at about 10 a.m., he took his forestry department truck out to go check on some stuff. And he lived very close to where this encounter happened. So he takes his truck out and he gets near the area and he's trying to go inspect stuff, but the truck only goes so far. Cause we're talking about like some foresty type paths. 
So at some point he has to get out of the truck and continue on foot to get to where he wants to go to inspect stuff. This is during the day, right? During the day, yeah. I thought I said it was around 10 a.m. Yeah, 10. Um, I saw different reports. Some say 10, some say 11. Um, either way, it's in the morning. So it's uh, not, not that big of a deal, a one-hour discrepancy, depending on what source you're finding here. But So this area is like a forest that they're planting and cultivating. It's near the M8 Highway, which, according to what I could find, is one of the busier highways in all of Scotland. So it's a pretty major thoroughfare. So he, like I said, he parked his truck on the side of the road, or in the road, or whatever, you, whatever it was, and he continued on foot. And uh, his dog was also with him, which is kind of interesting. You think that'd be more important part of the story, but very few accounts or reports of it even mention the dog. Actually, it's it's they it, it, I, I, the one thing I remember uh, reading was that the dog, like while the event was happening, the dog was like barking furiously, but they don't say anything about the dog after. Like I, I'm just assuming the dog, you know, followed Taylor home with you know after after the event, you know, yeah. But yeah, they don't say if the dog had any sort of injuries or, I mean, I'm assuming it didn't, but, you know, we don't really know. At 10.15 or so in the morning, so about 15 minutes after he'd set out, he already got there and he was walking around. He rounded a corner on the path into a clearing. At this point, uh, the clearing is actually about 300 feet from the main road, so it's not that far. And it was about a quarter of a mile away from where he had parked his truck because he didn't he didn't park on the main road. He parked on like a forest road, but um, in the other direction from the clearing from where he parked the main, you can look up maps, but basically it was really close to the main road and about a quarter mile away from where he parked. So we're talking about fairly short distances here. Uh, you could not see the main road from the clearing because there were trees in the way, unfortunately. So no other witnesses, you know, spoiler alert, I guess. <laughs> so as he rounded the corner, he saw a dark gray domed object with a rim or platform around the middle. On the rim were arms or sort of like sticks or poles going upward, topped by what he said looked like propellers. And this object was hovering above the ground. Now here's where it's, it's important to go look to witness statements rather than reports of what the witness said, because a lot of places when I looked at like read articles and stuff, they said that the the things that looked like propellers were moving, kind of like a propeller spinning. But when I looked at wit, uh, when I looked at interviews of Robert, he never said that. He just said it looked like propellers. So I never found I never found that Robert himself said they were spinning. Uh, maybe I missed that particular interview. But the way I interpret that is that that's what he said they looked like. But he didn't mean they were literally spinning propellers on top of a shaft. But if you can go look at like drawings and stuff in the police report, and it just looks like a propeller on a shaft, but they probably were not moving. But maybe they were, depending. But those those articles that I said, those articles that I read that saw that said that, they were not like primary articles that were interviewing him directly. They were articles that were talking about the case that were citing other sources. So they were sort of removed from, from what he said directly. All right, so it was hovering above the ground. The dark metallic object seemed to have the texture of sandpaper, and it seemed to become transparent in some places like it was camouflaging itself, which is kind of weird. 
So he estimated the craft was about 20 feet in diameter. He, he stood there watching the object kind of mesmerized for a little while. And his dog, according to some accounts you can find, was also mesmerized and also stood there watching the object. <laughs> he went a little bit closer to the object. And as he did so, two smaller objects or spheres came from under the object and rushed towards him. The color and texture of the spheres were similar to the larger object. They reminded Taylor of a World War II sea mine. Each had about six spikes coming out of it. And as they moved, they rolled on the spikes. So that's, kind of, that's how they moved around. Kind of weird, right? He said that the, spike, the spiky objects were about two or three feet in diameter. And one description said that the ball itself was two feet in diameter, and the spikes were about one foot in addition to that. So altogether, it was about three feet in diameter. So they rolled, they rolled towards Taylor, and as, they, as the spikes connected to the ground, they made a plopping sound. Or Oh, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. No, it's quoted as being plopping and sucking sound. Yeah, it could be. The, the ground was, That's what I read. The ground was reportedly <laughs> wet. So it could make that sound. And when I say spikes, when I saw pictures of them, they didn't look like like a spike that would be like an upside down V. It looked more like kind of like um, a golf tee or something like it, it actually kind of looked like a Y shape. So they went out as like uh, kind of little s- uh, sticks, I guess, and then got bigger at the tops. So if you know, if you can visualize that and that might explain why as they moved and those things went into the ground they would make like a sucking or plopping sound because the ground was supposed to be muddy and wet. The spheres moved closer to him and they each extended a spike and one, one spike from each object and they attached to his pants uh, on the sides just below the pockets. And as they did this, the spheres made a hissing sound and secreted a strong acrid smell similar to burning brakes that made him choke. They started to pull him towards the larger object, and he lost consciousness. He, he fell down, some accounts, he fell down and lost consciousness face down while being dragged. One interview I saw, he wasn't, it was a shorter interview, and he wasn't giving that much detail. He said they grabbed him, and then he just lost consciousness around that time. So it's possible that, you know, he was just doing a shorter interview than normal. He woke up face down in the clearing near where he had lost consciousness. And there's a couple of different accounts I found of this. One account, as he woke up, he heard a swishing sound like somebody swinging a stick through the air. You know, I used to do that when you're a kid. You'd swing a stick and it'd make like a whoosh, whoosh kind of a sound. Until my mom yelled at me. Yeah, until your parents would yell Put at you. Put that tell you, stick down. Knock you're it off. Poke yeah. your eye out. Some accounts include that. Others do not. But either way, when he woke up, the clearing was empty. And it was estimated later on, the police, I'm not sure how, but they, they estimated he was unconscious for about 15 to 20 minutes. Now, I think that it's pretty much impossible to estimate that. If you've ever been unconscious, it could be like three seconds or 30 minutes. You have zero frame of reference to how long it actually was. Now here, I disagree. Okay. You know that I have an excellent sense of time sometimes sometimes most of the time though okay so i don't know i think if i was knocked unconscious and then i woke up i think i'd know okay well you might 
Well, I'm saying he might. He might know. Yeah, that's true. That's a good I've point. I've been knocked unconscious before, and yeah, you you lose all grip of reality. I mean, at least for me, at least. I mean, y- your time is is out the window. You're, you're like, wait a minute. All right, that was a second, right? No, you were out for five minutes, and then there's like the extreme. All right, I've been out for days, so it's like it's felt like a year. After he'd woken up, his pants were torn, he was very thirsty, and he had a headache. His legs were also very sore. His throat was also sore, and he had a strange, bitter taste in his uh. mouth. <laughs> this is from the account. I'm not making. Sorry. I'm not are making you this sure up. You're not. Are you? Do we read the wrong description? <laughs> I will tell you that does not remind me. This of This is an one episode time. of an anime I've seen. I swear it. The objects were gone, and his dog was still there, but in a state of panic. Apparently, his dog was, you know, barking and running around and being crazy and probably very upset. He tried to talk to the dog, but found that his voice was gone. He could not stand, so he crawled back to the truck. He tried the radio to contact headquarters, but he still could not speak, so he was unable to contact them. And uh, I would just like, at this point, uh, he tried to drive the truck home, but he reversed it into a ditch where it got stuck. Now, a lot of sources that I found actually say that the car would not start. And that's that's a lot more interesting of a story because you think, oh, man, maybe it interfered with the electronics because a lot of UFO cases, cars will stop working temporarily and that kind of a thing. But in this case, I actually saw him in an interview on a video. Specifically, he said that he tried to back the car up and he got it stuck in a ditch. So that's um, probably what happened since that's what he said. And like a lot of this, you got to be careful with this case because it's, it's one of the bigger cases, especially in the UK is, is pretty big over there. So the more you read about it, the more you start finding discrepancies between different media outlets or different reports. And some of them seem like they're exaggerating or sensationalizing some of the details so it's just just something to be aware of if you go and read up on this one yourself. So he got out of the of the truck that he had gotten stuck in the ditch and he was still sort of couldn't walk. So he crawled, he said he crawled for about 100 meters and then he was able to sort of, you know, kind of shamble through the woods. He took a shortcut through the forest and the fields and it was about a mile to get home. He got home at around 12.30 or 11.30, depending on what account you're finding, what, what source you're looking at. And either way, then either way, you have some lost time there, probably more than 20 minutes. But he didn't take his car. He walked home? Yeah, but it was uh, about probably a 20-minute, well, I guess um, if you, a normal walk, it would be 20, 25 minutes for a mile. But if it's through the woods and he's He's crawling and climbing. I suppose that could take significantly longer. So that is a good point. Yeah. But there is still some wiggle room in there for who knows what. Some shenanigans. Although I didn't see any accounts of, uh, you know, hypnotic regression. And I did not see any accounts of him saying that he remembered seeing any sort of beings or he was brought aboard any sort of ship. So as far as we know, he was just knocked unconscious by the spheres or, you know, maybe by some sort of gas that they were letting out. Uh, We don't know for sure if he was like abducted or if he was just assaulted right there in the woods. So when he got home, 
his wife saw that he was covered in mud and his clothes were ripped. And she said that he stood there and he looked sort of like dazed as if he didn't really know what was going on. He, she was obviously alarmed by his appearance and asked him what was the matter. He said that uh, a spaceship <laughs> had, <laughs> had assaulted him and his wife said, or said to herself or whatever, there's an interview. You can go see her in an interview. And she said, well, there's no such thing as spaceships. You know, <laughs> I don't really have a Scottish accent, but she said, so I, I called the police because, you know, she thought that he'd been beaten up or something and he was discombobulated and he didn't know what was going on, which, you know, it seems like he didn't. So she went to go call the cops, but he said not to call the police at first and instead wanted her to call the doctor, the family doctor and his boss. So they both came out to the house and he told the story. The doctor took All a look that. at him. And yeah, what Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm Drummond. Yeah. Mal- was his name. That's uh, I mean, that's probably the most Scottish name I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strong name. It's a powerful name. Yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure. I feel like James Bond should be named Malcolm Drummond, you know, maybe a sidekick. I don't know. Well, maybe Malcolm Drummond could be like a second rate. Yeah. James Bond's a little more abrupt and to the point, a little, a little more powerful. You know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe uh, Malcolm is 009 or something. Who knows? So anyways, they, they were at his house. The doctor examined him and determined that he didn't have any head injury that could cause confusion or hallucination. So he didn't notice any bruising or anything like that to where it looked like he'd taken a blow to the head. So this is like a house call. It's 1979. And he must have known his doctor pretty well to make a house call. Yeah, it, it might have also been kind of a smaller town at that time. Mm, yeah. Did I say what date it was? You I, said, I thought you said 79. I said 79, but I don't think I actually said what date it was. So let me... I just remember it wasn't on my birthday. I believe it was November, November 9th. November 9th. There you go. That's yeah. Yes, you are correct, sir. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I said that yet. Just for anybody curious, this happened on November 9th. All right. So the doctor convinced Robert to go get checked out at the local hospital. Meanwhile, his boss, Malcolm Drummond, he rounded up some forestry workers to go investigate the scene of the crime. And at this point, imagine that you're Malcolm and you're like, whoa, what the, what are you talking? You're like, I don't know what's going on here. It was something weird. All right. Time to round up the posse. <laughs> <laughs> With their pitchforks. Mind if I correct my mistake right there? What's that? Yeah, Malcolm Drummond. Yeah, no, I responded to you by saying Malcolm Drummond was the uh, the doctor. The doctor's name was Gordon Ab- Adams. Yeah, yeah, the boss. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, the yeah, boss. Dr- yeah, Drummond, Drummond was a supervisor. I, yeah, I got that mixed up. M- yeah. My bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whoops-a-daisy. Ah, whichever. <laughs> All right, so they, they went down there with the posse to take a look at the scene of the crime while Robert went to get checked out at the hospital. But he waited at the hospital for a few hours got impatient and left before they did any sort of examination. That's that sounds like something I might do. Yep. I Honestly, mean, you're in the ER. It's been like five hours and you're like, well, I feel fine. I'm just yeah. going to skedaddle. Well, he'd probably felt fully recovered by that time. So he left. And that's kind of an interesting detail. And that kind of goes along with an idea that he was exposed to some sort of chemical because he had, you know, he had like irritation of, you know, like, let's say the throat area and, you know, he, he felt sick for a while, but then he recovered over time 
um, over a few hours, that sounds like chemicals, you know? I, I wonder if, like, you know, like those aliens or whatever, if it were aliens, like, like trapped him. Now, I, I know, because I, I, I even heard a report that he had a watch on and he knew what time it was when, like, uh, around what time it was when he first saw the craft. And uh, he, he uh, had said that, like, it was about 20 minutes that he was passed out for or unconscious. Oh, because now, of the watch. It could have been 20 minutes and, yeah, but uh, 20 minutes in our time, but maybe, you know, Maybe these aliens know how to manipulate time. You know what I mean? Could have oh, way farther. That's a good and like point. Some, some of the uh, some of the in, some of the injuries, like it makes me kind of very suspect of these aliens and what they were up to because uh, that might have been some dirty birds. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> some, some he, he, well, you know, he, he had a uh, an irritated throat. He was uh, <laughs> he was a little nauseous. You know, they tried to pull like his he pants off. Up, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. His trousers, <laughs> dude. They, 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 you know, though, could they have been trying to pull them off? Yeah, I think so. Nefarious. <laughs> Nefarious. Oh, dude. They might have been some, like I said, some dirty birds, dude. <laughs> Who knows what, what may have happened to them? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's not just an assault. That might that might have been something a little, a step above, <laughs> an extra extra level there of interaction. I don't know. But, you know, I, I think... Uh, that's uh, reasonable, you know? Well, that's one possible theory, I suppose. Okay, I don't know why, but this this all reminds me of, do you guys remember from Sesame Street, the aliens? And they look like mops? <laughs> do you remember this well, at all? Everybody kind of looked like a mop on that show, didn't they? Vaguely, and they said, they said, yep. They said, yep, 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 yep. Oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. That does, that does sound very familiar. I remember those guys, oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I watch Sesame Street constantly. <laughs> that was my thing. Maybe it was those guys. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was more of a Ren and Snippy kid myself. Right. This was this was <laughs> earlier. This was like in the early eighties. Yeah, I was I was a little older by the time Ren and Snippy came out, but I remember that being like my favorite cartoon when I was a kid. Where were we? Did I mention? So he had. Oh yeah, I think I skipped. That he had, Robert had symptoms. It looked like he was in a state of shock. And he had cuts on his leg and scrapes on his chin. I think I might have skipped that one. But anyways, that was, the doctor investigated him. And that's what the doctor found. That he had, uh, did have some physical stuff. And he appeared to be in a state of shock. All right. So after, okay. So his boss went to the clearing. And what they found there were two sets of tracks and 40 holes in the ground. And somebody that day took pictures and somebody the next day took pictures, probably the police the next day. And believe it or not, you can actually find these photographs online. Maybe not all of them. You can definitely find photographs of these tracks and of the holes, which is pretty cool because, you know, it's not one of these things like the the hand on the dashboard for the Cash Landrum sighting where, well, you know, nobody thought to take a picture. So maybe it's something, maybe it's not. It could mean something, but we don't know. In this case, you can actually go look at it for yourself, which is pretty cool. But anyways, the tracks were about eight feet long and looked like they had been made by like a tractor or a bulldozer or something, you know, like a machine that has like tank tread kind of a thing on it. And they were sort of like ladder-like in appearance. The rungs of the ladder were about an inch wide and about an inch deep and about a foot long. The tracks looked like they were caused by heavy machinery, but uh, now this is one detail that I couldn't really verify anywhere besides I saw it in an article, 
but this article didn't seem to have like it seemed to have some discrepancies with other stuff. So take it with a grain of salt. But according to one article I found, only the grass was bent, but the ground underneath was not disturbed. Like the dirt was not pressed in at all. You know, like if you had something heavy on muddy ground, it would press in the dirt. But when you look at the picture, it kind of looks like to me, it looks like the dirt has been formed as well. So I'm not sure I really believe that that little bit of it that I read, but I figured I'd throw it in there anyways, just because um, if that's the case, if the dirt was not disturbed underneath, then that's pretty interesting. Like what would cause something to look like a track like that? Clearly, it wasn't some kind of bulldozer, which would have definitely also displaced the mud underneath. All right, now the 40 holes were, uh, they, they exposed fresh earth and they tapered from a maximum width of four inches and they had a depth of about four inches. They were angled about 30 degrees off of the horizontal plane. And these, the holes, the angle was not random. So if you had all of them in a row, they would all be angled the same way. So it looked like you could track whatever was leaving these holes you could track their direction. And it if you look at where the holes are, these looks like these holes look like they could have been caused by these spheres moving around to grab them and then coming back. You can find a police drawing of the area that shows the tracks and the holes, and it looks like the objects came from around the back and traveled forward, came together and grabbed them and went back. You know, that's one way of interpreting it, but Uh, Who knows? I mean, maybe this has nothing to do with the case and it's just a bunch of random holes that were randomly in the field, right? We don't really know. Well, I don't know. I I think I I tend to think that like all this, all these holes and those track marks and stuff that were very well documented. Right. um, Why would they be there if not something happened? And like everybody that uh, had like, like looked at that area and and, um, tried to think about how those marks were created. They all said like, look, there's no marks. There's no tracks coming in or going out or for whatever reason, it looked like these tracks that, that were made by something very heavy, especially like the, the track marks, like the, that looked like it was like made by a tracked vehicle, what have you. Um, whatever made that was very heavy. Yeah. And, um, they just couldn't figure out how the hell they got there. Like what the hell? Like there's no, there's not even like track marks from like a trailer or something like that coming into the area, maybe like offloading some and then loading it back on, you know, whatever. There's no, there's none of that evidence, you know? And, yeah. Uh, it just like the tracks don't make sense to me. You know what I mean? Um, especially cause there's no tracks coming in or out, you know? So that's the big key part of it. I think. Yeah. Not only that, but the police went even further. So at some point the police were informed of this attack and they took it very seriously and they considered it an assault. They said, this guy's been assaulted or attacked somehow. We got to get to the bottom of this, you know? And this guy, I think when this happened, Robert was, I think I read he was 61 years old. So he was, he'd been in the community for many years he was probably well-known. He was a respected war veteran. He was a respected member of the community. Oh, he was definitely well-known. Yeah. And oh, yeah. this was probably a lot smaller community than most of us are used to living in. Like the city where I live is, I think the population is something like 200,000 people or whatever. So oh, I think it's more. Uh, yeah. It's, it's something along those lines, but there's a lot of people that live here and you could meet a new, new person every day of your life and, you know, never stop meeting new people. But I think this was a smaller town is the impression I get. I didn't think to look up the population, but that's just sort of the impression I got was that it was one of those towns where everybody kind of knew everybody. And this guy had a reputation and he was really well respected. 
But yeah, as far as the the police investigation goes, they had a lot of uh, a lot of insight. Well, a lot of thought into what they were doing, and they checked the forestry equipment against the tracks, and they didn't find anything that could match up to the tracks. And they even searched the surrounding area for evidence of like, let's say some kind of crane or some kind of machinery that could have picked something up and dropped it in the clearing and then picked it up again without leaving tracks going into or out of the area. But they were completely perplexed as to how these tracks, which obviously look like they're caused by heavy machineries, how these tracks could have gotten into the area. And if you look at the photographs, um, one of the details that it's hard to make out in the photographs, but one person or one report uh, said, so again, it was not something that was super common, but one report said that on the holes, blades of grass next to the holes were cut or sheared off. So like almost like you had, you know, like maybe like a straight cylinder kind of a thing going in and like shearing off the grass as it went down. But either way, if you look at the picture, it doesn't look like something that somebody could easily do by themselves. Like if they brought some kind of tool just like to push into the ground, it looks like the ground was pushed down by something heavy, not like maybe somebody used a shovel or something to kind of dig it out. If you, you know, you have to look at the picture, but that's sort of the impression I got when you're looking at the pictures of these holes, it's really mysterious. And uh, that's one of, one of the most interesting things about this case is these tracks seem like legitimate evidence. Evidence of what? I don't know, but they're weird and they're probably, you know, unexplainable. Nobody's really been able to explain them to anybody's satisfaction so far. And this happened in 79. The boss that, uh, what was his name? Uh, Malcolm. Yeah. Malcolm, I have a quote here from him. He said, there's no doubt in my mind that these marks were made by a perfectly solid, heavier than air object. They had been made by some machine which had come vertically downward. I don't believe in anything from outer space. The only conclusion that I can come to is that I that it must have been a man-made object, some sort of secret machine belonging to one of the government departments. And that's obviously one of the possible explanations for this, but we'll talk about those in a little bit. The police, they actually roped off the area to investigate and they, um, let's see, scroll down here a little bit. Okay. One of the other things they checked on was they looked to see if there was evidence of a helicopter having flown anywhere near the area that day. And even the day before, and they could not find any record of a helicopter either. And that's also important because theoretically a helicopter could have dropped something off in the clearing and then come and picked it back up as well. But that also did not check out. And I'm guessing that they asked, asked all the local um, like the local military bases and uh, airports and things like that. And they were unable to find anybody who had a helicopter operating in the area at the time. The police concluded from the police report, they said the, that the marks indicated an object of several tons had stood there, but no information has been gained to explain them. So they were convinced as well. It's nobody who went to the site, as far as I can find, was able to dismiss these tracks or these holes as something that was, you know, maybe caused by like rabbits digging in the ground or, you know, some sort of natural thing, or maybe somebody putting a weird shape on their shoe and stomping around. They were completely perplexed. So the police also took Mr. Taylor's clothes and gave them to a forensic analysis. The lab that they sent them to determined 
that the tears on his pants were not caused by rocks, stones, or forest debris, or sticks, or like stray nails, or anything like that. They concluded that the tears were caused by like something that attached, like a broad clamp or something, had attached to them and pulled on the cloth, just like Robert described. So that's, I'm not sure exactly, I didn't read that report, even if it's available, I'm not sure if it is, but I'm sure they have ways of looking, maybe using microscopes or whatever, because if a nail tears your pants, it's going to look different than if somebody puts a broad clamp on it and then pulls it hard enough to tear it. You know, that's just sort of, you know, you just imagine different things like rocks or whatever that could tear your clothing, depending on how your clothes are damaged, it's going to look very different. So at the end of the day, the police concluded that Robert's story matched the physical evidence. He was a known and reliable person who was not prone to tell tall tales or pranks. Because of the physical evidence and his good reputation, they concluded that he was being truthful, even if you can go, you can go see some of the police and in interviews, and they didn't really seem to believe the story that he told, but they believed that Robert was being truthful. So they don't think that he was lying. They think that something else happened to him and caused him to see this. What that something else is, nobody knows. The skeptics know. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll get to them. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, I have one. I have one account from one of the police constables that okay. uh, interviewed him. Yeah, go for uh, it. Uh, the police, his name was Bill Douglas. And um, the guy is... is uh, the the interview that I watched, like he was he was uh you know seemed seemed to be honest you know didn't seem like he was trying to like you know live lively things up you know and, and make things you know sound uh you know more grand than they were you know no what I mean? no uh, what that would also be his has motive? to do with, he, with what he said about and that's one of the things that like surrounds this case also like I said some of these people really actually like kind of stick up for for Robert Taylor you know and like you know, say things but so so anyways uh, so. Uh, Bill Douglas um, was one of the uh, constables, uh, one of the law enforcement individuals that uh, interviewed Taylor after the uh, the event happened, and um, like he he basically says that he thinks Taylor was telling the truth. Now he also does express that kind of same sentiment where he thinks there's more the more of a reasonable explanation for what Taylor says he you know thinks he saw, uh, but he says like he he believes him. That you know he's telling the truth, whether that be aliens or a hit to the head, a blow to the head, or um, you know ingesting ingesting like chemicals that may make you hallucinate or something like that. But he still says like he like sticks up uh, sticks up for him and says you know that um, I think he's telling the truth. He was he was you know, but uh, he also said in his his interview this uh, this one that I watched that um, Taylor Taylor was like you know a, a very religious individual. Um, he was known not to be a drinker. You know, and, and um, many of the people that he talked to after interviewing Taylor, you know, pretty much said that, like, there's no, they don't think that, like, Taylor would ever make this kind of stuff up. He's never been that kind of person. They've never experienced it, experienced it at least. And um, actually, a, a direct quote from, uh, from that fella uh, is actually, he said, um, I think what he said to me was quite true. Uh, during the interview, I was quite taken with him. He was he wasn't trying to enhance the situation. Uh, it's a you know just a short little quote there, but you know I mean like uh, the the guy believed him, you know, and and that kind of because I think most most uh, you know law enforcement uh, individuals if they've been in the career for a while and and it seems like this fella had I, I don't know the you know his whole career I don't know how long but anyways 
um, you know, you, you get a feel for people if, if they're trying to uh, make things, you know, sound more grand than they, they are or whatever happened or if they're, they're lying just in general. So I don't know the the way that he kind of you know stuck up for Taylor and you know supported him basically you know it, it seems like the guy was taking him serious you know and that's one of the reasons why you know uh, you know that constable and and the other law enforcement individuals that were involved in the uh, the, init- the initial investigation I think that's why you have so much evidence here. And why they even went to the site, you know, like if say, I mean, most places, in my opinion, like if you went to, uh, you know, um, whether it be a, a sheriff station or a police station in this country, in most places, if you told them the, uh, the same story, they would probably sing you for a 5150 or something, you know, like, like, nah, you're, you're crazy. You're crazy. We don't believe you. Like, or they would just like, sh- sh- like, shoot you off. You're like, I right, just get, get out of here. You know, like, we don't believe you. Right. So, but like, uh, these guys actually took it for real, you know, and they, because they thought it was an assault because he obviously had a couple little scrapes and bruises and stuff. And like, you know, um, they didn't think that he did it to himself, especially because the guy had such a good reputation in his community. So like, they didn't like for a second, it seems like they didn't, they didn't think that he was lying. They probably didn't believe a story like you had said, but they definitely didn't think he was lying. So, I mean, that's one of those things that adds a lot of credibility to the story, you know, and I, I think that's that's why this story is 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 pretty damn interesting, and it's kind of, it's kind of hard it's it's kind of hard to write off. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you can go look at some interviews with Robert. They're videos. They're on YouTube. You can find them, and he does seem genuine, yeah. and he almost he seems reluctant, like he doesn't really want to tell his story. He never made any money from the story. And his story stayed the same. He didn't embellish it over time like others have. For for example, in the Rendlesham story, some of those witnesses sort of, you know, embellished it over time as they got bigger and bigger TV spots, you know, like Unsolved Mysteries or something. The story became more interesting over time. This story did not become more interesting over time. It stayed the same over time. Well, it was already so interesting. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, up, up until his death in 2007, you know, he, he kept the same story. He never really diverted from it. Like, you'll hear different accounts according to, like, what source, like, what, like, a uh, reporter or whatever wrote the article you're looking at. or like. Uh, but the interviews, I think, are the best ones to look at, as, you know, because that's directly from his mouth. And, like... Some of those other interviews, like like I said, the uh, the one that I watched from that constable, um, uh, Bill Douglas, you know, um, it's it's straight from the horse's mouth. You know what I mean? From people that were there right when it happened, you know, and uh, it seems pretty genuine. The accounts that you hear in those interviews, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, to me, that that gives the story a lot of strength. A lot of strength. Uh huh. And for how he has conducted himself too, I it all signs point to a legitimate victim in, you know, like somebody who doesn't want to seek, you know, vast attention, but also not, not shed light on, you know, what happened. So I just, it's definitely, it sucks to, to be in that situation. If that when that moment just happens to some, you know, an unknowing individual, like let's, how do you go through life, you know, trying to prove that happened, whether, I mean, to be honest, I would, it'd be a mix for me. It'd be like, yeah, I want to tell people what happened, but at the same time, you're not really advertising. You know, you don't really want to go around and say like, yeah, I was probed by something. You know, my, I woke up and 
clothes were off and, uh, you know, shit got wild. <laughs> my, my asshole felt loose. My mouth was, was uh, oh, no. raw and my throat, my throat, my throat yeah, felt all, is, all. And him being in a logging town too. I mean, it's going to be like, as soon as he starts saying, yeah, I had a bitter taste <laughs> in my mouth, you know, it was, uh, my head was on mess. I specifically chose my words when describing the case using the word spheres instead of balls. <laughs> because another way you could describe yeah. the case would be that I saw this machine and two really smelly balls dropped out from under it and came at me. <laughs> and they grabbed yep. me and pulled my pants off. <laughs> yeah. Before I knew it, I smelled well, like those stinky balls. Maybe they really did pull his pants off. Like maybe he didn't pass out. Like he, he was just trying to save face. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. just like, going to like, quietly <laughs> sit over here passing judgment. <laughs> I was attacked by smelly <laughs> balls. All right. I'll probably edit this stuff out. You, I don't know. you really should. <laughs> no. Give Hey, give some people no. who come to the live show something to look forward to, right? Or not. <laughs> Depending, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's. that's the basic story, and it's pretty straightforward. The physical evidence matches his story, which doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't a hoax, but if it was a hoax, it was an incredibly well-done hoax. Let's get into some of the explanations of the case. You mean the skeptical explanations? Sure. May I, may I bring up one more point, though? What's that? Because there actually is like uh, other witnesses uh, the same day uh, from the same area mm -hmm. um, that claim to see something, you know, uh, that could be described as a, a UFO um, encounter, I guess. Well, not encounter, but they were a UFO witness. So uh, the, okay. the, uh, what I'm talking about is a woman that was from around the same area. Her, her name was Bar uh, Barbara uh, Gerard. Gerard? Gerard? Sounds I think right. It's Gerard. Did she give an interview? I think Anyways, I saw this. Are you guys, are you guys familiar with this? Yes. No, actually, I didn't come across this one. Oh, she was peeling potatoes at her kitchen sink. <laughs> that <laughs> Anyways, wasn't too I'll, I'll bad. <laughs> <laughs> peeling so, are you serious? So, was so anyways, she really yeah, she was, peeling potatoes? Yeah. And no, no, come on now. No, I'm not trying to make a joke about that. Okay. All right. Uh, what? Hey, that, that's by her own account. Okay. You know, in the interview, you know. I'm believing you over here. Okay. I'm not making that up. All right. So, so anyways, uh, she stated that she looked out her, uh, her, her, uh, the window of her kitchen and um, she saw a bright orange light like uh, th that was hovering like for, for a, a couple seconds and then started uh, moving. Um, it was, uh, 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 I think she said it was from the west, but the west of her. Anyways, is where it started, and then um, moving in like a large arc over across the sky, uh, um, moving east, I believe uh, it went uh, like uh, to like a ninety degree like uh, point from her, and then she saw another light coming over the same trajectory, like um, like covering the exact same area of sky, looking looked it looked the exact same, and. Um, uh, it went, you know, to that same 90 degree uh, position, uh, went out of her, you know, field of view. And then a third one came and, and that was the last one. It was three, but she, uh, she actually ended up calling, calling like, uh, that police station. Um, and I don't know the name of that police station right there, but, um, the, the one that was, uh, involved in the investigation, investigation, um, 
for uh, Taylor there, Robert Taylor. And, was it and, Scotland uh, Yard? Basically, like, was, was saying. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't Scotland Yard. <laughs> no, it was uh, Livestein, West Lo- uh, Lothian, whatever hell, Scotland, you know. But anyways, freaking, um, to basically, basically she was trying to support his story by saying, hey, I saw something really freaking weird, too, that might have been a UFO. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think I think it's a uh, it's it's interesting because like her herself like she said um, like now her, obviously her account is very different than than uh, Robert Taylor's you know she saw something she saw three different object objects moving in the same trajectory across the sky and um, she said specifically that like it wasn't anything like she had ever seen before. And uh, she would never see it again also is what she said. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, for her, it seems like it was very uh, obviously unique experience and it stood out quite a bit. She said it didn't, it didn't, uh, the objects didn't act like planes or like helicopters or anything like that, like the way that they were moving, I guess. And um, so like, yeah, I thought that was kind of a a cool little like side note to this case because like it it was, there's so many little little things that actually kind of support Robert Taylor's story, instead of you know making him look like a lot like a liar or or uh, make it look like he's you know trying to gain attention or anything like that. You know that that doesn't seem to be the case. You know, so like uh, I don't know, man. This this case is one of those ones where I tend to believe him. I, I at the very least I have the same opinion as those those. Uh, uh, police officers that that were investigating the case, like I think the guy was telling the truth. Whatever yeah. he did experience, he was telling it how he remembered it. Yeah, you know? I I definitely agree with that. But, but yeah, but well, we can actually explain this. But this sighting <laughs> can be completely explained by any guesses. There was a water tower. No, no, in the distance. No, we'll get we'll get to the water tower. Okay. Yeah, I think I think uh, Adrian Kruger just said I, he was kind of breaking up a little bit there, but a mirage of <laughs> Venus. <Yep>. Uh, <laughs> Not sure how that explains well, shit. Of any course. of the details of the case, but apparently that was one skeptical explanation was a mirage of Venus. How is it a mirage? I mean, I saw that explanation. What what do they even mean by a mirage? I don't know. And how are you going to see Venus at eleven well, in the morning? Hey. <gasps> That's a good point. Don't you? Don't you often like like look at the sky and then get attacked by like constellations and stuff? Like <laughs> dragging towards a vehicle of some sort of craft, you know? That happens once in a while. You no, know, that what that doesn't happen to you? No. I mean that's that sounds yeah. reasonable yeah. to me. I only look into the sky when I'm looking for chemtrails. Oh, I got a good picture the other day <laughs> of uh, of a couple of chemtrails making a big giant X in the sky. It's pretty cool looking. There's another one. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know what to think about chemtrails. Like there, there's there's reasonable points on both sides, but I do remember that when I was a kid, I didn't see like all these these like trails in the sky and stuff. You know, I, I know that I don't remember it at least. I don't think. Just um, so our um, audience knows, know. we did an entire episode on chemtrails. So go back; it's pretty good. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's awesome. You guys should definitely listen to yeah. it. <laughs> Although, as far as topics go, I felt it was a little on the weak side because there isn't really a whole lot of evidence to back it up. It's just sort of speculation. No, it was a good episode. Yeah, it was good. It was a fun one. But, I mean, there does seem to be some evidence that they have done experiments 
with things sort of like chemtrails or like putting stuff in jet fuel or whatever, but uh, we don't really know for sure. But I mean, that's a whole other episode, so let's not get into that. Which we already did. Yeah. All right. So second explanation. And this one actually is somewhat plausible is that he had a mini stroke or some kind of epileptic fit. And the reason why this one is somewhat plausible is because these things can cause hallucinations. They can cause you to smell things that aren't there. And they can cause you to have the the symptoms that he had, basically. You know, how, how he was on, he fell unconscious and he wasn't feeling good and that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't really make sense, though, because people who have epileptic fits tend to have more than just one. It's generally not something like an epileptic seizure or something. Most people don't tend to have one and then never again. You know, it's not usually an isolated thing. So that seems a little unlikely, but they the descriptions do match to an extent. Same thing for a mini stroke. But the one thing that those two do not explain are the uh, the tears to his clothing, which even if he was thrashing around on the ground, the police investigators said that that those tears could not have been caused by rocks or sticks or whatever. So it was caused by, you know, basically something mechanical pulling at his pants. So a stroke or an epileptic seizure could not cause that damage to his pants. So that's one one piece of evidence that does not fit in with it. I this think- this whole thing reminds me of that that modern Sherlock episode, The Hound of the Baskervilles, where it turns out to be a chemical agent all along that causes hallucinations. So that's another explanation, which I think nobody thought of, was that the chemical agent itself, maybe that he was exposed to, caused some sort of hallucinogenic episode. Oh, yeah, that's definitely one of the explanations that people have thought of, but I don't know if the police considered that at the time, that it could have been some kind of chemical, and probably because there was no traces or evidence of anything unusual as far as, like, chemicals go, and, you know, no residues or anything that they discovered in the clearing, and if it was some sort of, like, let's say somebody dumped a barrel of chemicals that they shouldn't have then there should still be some sort of trace or some sort of residue of those chemicals there, right? You'd imagine. I don't know. But yeah, so the the next one is that a mirage of Venus or some other type mirage actually triggered a stroke or epileptic fit. Happens all the damn <laughs> yeah. time, I so tell you. One of the skeptics <laughs> combined those two ideas, <laughs> saying one somehow caused the other because... Yeah, epilepsy is triggered by seeing Venus. Sure, why not? It's like being a, a weak sauce werewolf. <laughs> Instead of turning into a werewolf, you just uh, have oh, yeah, a you're seizure. the shittiest werewolf ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. seriously. Man, oh my God. That would suck. Uh, another skeptical explanation is ball lightning. Because why not? You got you to throw the ball lightning in there, right? Swamp gas! <laughs> Use something that is almost never been observed and we know almost nothing about. And use that as an explanation to explain a UFO sighting. Because why not? My mother swears she saw ball lightning in Texas. And it's actually a pretty cool story. And it's not that long. So why don't you go ahead and tell us, Agent Ether, since That's you're mentioning it. That's the whole it. story. Uh, yeah, but it wasn't just ball lightning. <laughs> wasn't it slow ball lightning? No, she just saw ball lightning. Was it on the ground? 
No, it was just across the, the sky. She said. So it went she, across the sky. Yeah. And she said, the thing is, nobody believed her. Like mm. at the time, I, I guess it wasn't really a thing. And so she would tell people and they were just very skeptical that that's what she had seen. And then years later, she uh, saw something, I think, online. And she's like, yes, that's exactly what I saw. <laughs> There are some really weird natural phenomenon. Like, for example, the Hestalen lights that we did an episode on are almost certainly a natural phenomenon. And there's also something, I don't think we've talked about it, maybe we've mentioned it, called sprites. Sprites, it's like lightning that goes upwards from clouds in the high, high part of the atmosphere. And it happens really fast, like really quickly, and they're really hard to catch on camera. And airline pilots would report those sometimes but they would be treated like they were talking about, you know, UFOs or ghosts or something. So people stopped reporting it, even though they were seeing it until years later when they actually were able to capture it on camera and say, oh, I guess this is real after all. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of unfortunate that, um, you know, if some people weren't so close minded, maybe discovery of certain things would be a little bit faster and a little smoother. You know, if people would take some of this stuff more seriously. But just because somebody reports something doesn't mean it has to be, you know, like a ghost or a UFO or something. Could be a natural phenomenon. Yeah, with spikes and stuff <laughs> that leaves leaves tracks. Like the a giant COVID. Yeah, giant COVID. There you go. That's actually what ah, they actually kind of yeah, do look like little COVIDs, look don't like they? Or giant COVIDs, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So I think Ether mentioned the nefarious UFO-shaped water storage tank. I think I mentioned that. I did briefly mention that someone had thought as a skeptical explanation that there was a water tower in the distance combined with either some epileptic fit or a stroke, which caused him to think that there was a UFO, because why not? I guess. The problem with that theory is that this water tower or water tank, I should say it's not a tower, it's on the other side of the road, and you would not be able to see it from the clearing. There are too many trees in the way. You just can't see it from that spot. But perhaps he knew it was there, and so in the back of his mind, using his imagination, perhaps something that occurred to him. But if you look at a picture of the thing, which I found online, you can go find a picture of it, it just looks like a water tank. It doesn't look like a UFO. It doesn't look like a saucer. It just looks like, you know, it's a circular water tank, I suppose. UFOs. Flying saucers are circular. Water tanks are circular. There you go. He must have seen a water tank. I mean, that's really pretty much all there is to that explanation. Well, you know, <laughs> now I want to go into Project Blue Book and see if there are any similar sightings because I have never heard of a sighting like this before. Right. It's pretty unique yeah. as far as I can tell. And if you're looking in, if you want to look into sightings also, there are other places besides Project Blue Book, especially places that have more modern sightings. Um, I'll talk about one at the end here because I, I figured we never say where to report UFO sightings. It might be nice for people to know that in case they actually see something, right? I'll move on. No, I don't actually. Well, I'll, we'll get we'll get to that later. Okay. But, okay. Okay. So we talked about. Let's see. We mentioned that it was some sort of hallucinogen or chemical poisoning. Now, the hallucinogen angle. A lot of people say that it could have been um, like belladonna or some kind of berry that has a hallucinogenic property or whatever. But the reason why this is pretty stupid is because, like I mentioned earlier, this guy had a ton, like sixteen years of experience in this area. 
he knew the area. He knew what plants were. He's not going to just go around chowing down on random plants willy-nilly. He would have known what to eat and what not to eat. And he lived so close that he probably would have just had a sandwich at home instead of foraging in the forest, right? I don't know. I had a sudden thought. Mm -hmm. What's that? Mushrooms. Yeah, but again, he would know which ones to eat and which ones not to eat. That's my entire point. Oh, I see. Mushrooms. (laughs) Maybe he ate the right kind of mushrooms. (laughs) That's right. That's what I'm saying. But he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to do that. And he was like, what, 60? Yeah. I don't know. I'm doing the math. You know, he's around during the 60s. Yeah. It's a big maybe. It's possible, I suppose. As far as I know, there's never been a case of somebody overdosing on psilocybin. But if he had been hallucinating on purpose... I don't think he would have reported his hallucinations as being real, and it still doesn't answer how he got his physical injuries and how his pants were torn. I mean, that doesn't really, I mean, that'd be one hell of a trip, right? <laughs> that's that's the thing about this case is like the tracks and the physical evidence don't really match up to any of these explanations so far. And uh, a chemical poisoning by itself would cause hallucinations, but would not give you those physical, uh, physical, um, the physical evidence. So the only thing I think was some sort of hallucinogen or chemical poisoning would be maybe some kind of government experiment where the government laid a trap there for him to go in there and they put some kind of weird looking machine and they tore his clothes or something. But I mean, that seems pretty far-fetched for... That's going out of of their way, yeah. I mean, if anything, you could make some sort of case for LSD spiking, because, I mean, there is cases of that. But but even then, I mean, I I don't know. They would go out of their way. (laughs) Yeah, it's... Then we're going to dress up like a giant robot, and we're going to spring ourselves on him, all right? Sounds good. (laughs) He's going to freak out. Yeah. It's just none of these explanations really are a good match for the case, And the last one I have here, as far as explanations go, is one of the skeptics said that there were workers who were like putting cables or doing some work in the area, uh, maybe at the main road, and they had stored their ladders in the clearing, which could explain the tracks in the clearing. But first of all, you can go look at a picture of these tracks. I don't know what kind of funky ass ladders these people were using, but that doesn't look like any ladder I've ever seen. But I mean, they besides on that, stilt ladders, yeah. why would they store their ladders in the middle of a forest that's not super accessible from wherever they're doing their work? Like, they, maybe they would leave their ladders on the side of the road and come and get them later. I just, what it doesn't make any sense. Like, the, yeah, okay, some workers just put their ladders on the ground there and left them for whatever reason. Why not? Yeah, that clearing isn't really next to anything. Yeah. Not at all. It's, yeah, a, it's in the middle of the woods. It doesn't, it's, yeah. just, it's, completely, it's completely absurd, that explanation, as are the other ones, most of them. So that doesn't leave us with a whole lot to go on. I mean, extra-dimensional craft, uh, alien craft, I don't know. I mean, there was that corroborating uh, UFO sighting, which I didn't actually, I did not come across that in my readings, but um, my, that's one thing I was trying to look at is to see if there were other UFO sightings in the area that, you know, might go along with this. I was not able to find anything, so I'm glad you found that one. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, good. Good old Barbara. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's kind of a strange case. It there's for me, it's like it's hard to say that it was aliens or something, but it seems like something definitely strange definitely happened here, but what was it? I pff, I don't know. <laughs> 
Hell, hell of no, I, it's, it's not, you know, it's not hard for me at all to say it was aliens. Matter of fact, I think it was aliens, uh, interdimensional aliens on spring break. Spring <laughs> break. I think they, they plopped down. Yeah. No, yeah. On, on what we, we would call their spring break. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, they came down, they plopped down where they did, you know, and they, they found their, uh, their target there, Robert Taylor, you know, they were like, you know, they were predators at this point. And, you know, my opinion of what they did to him was probably, you know, less than mentionable. I'll just say, you know, <laughs> He's very deprived, I think, what probably happened, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, you know. So, you could actually go visit the site to this day, and they put a plaque on a rock to commemorate the sighting. The plaque says, this is the site referred to in Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, which describes an encounter between a forestry worker out walking and what appeared to him as an unidentified flying object. They should have said unidentified hovering object because he didn't see it flying. He saw it hovering. But any, anyways, there is that plaque. So I went ahead and saved you a trip to Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Going to look at the plaque in the clearing. Uh, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's pretty much the case. Um, it's kind of weird. One of, one of the really interesting things mentioned was that the object was trying, looked like it was trying to camouflage, like it was translucent in some parts. And that could actually explain why there weren't a whole lot of people or anybody really reporting it hovering down to the area or hovering up from the area, you know, because that road is like 300 feet from the clearing. That's kind of far, but it's close enough to where a 20 foot object hovering up out of the woods, you'd look, you might see that and think, what in the heck is that? Or whatever they say in Scotland, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like people might notice that, but if it was, had some kind of camouflage, that could explain why nobody did see it. But it's also like if you're ever driving, you know, you kind of get like road hypnosis or whatever, where you don't really, you just, you get to where you're going. And you're like, oh yeah, like I kind of remember driving here, but I zoned out, you know, or, you know, maybe somebody saw it out of the corner of their eye and they're like, they, oh, that must be a water tower or whatever. Like if you're driving, it'd be real easy to miss something on the side of the road, even a UFO, I think. So Unfortunately, we don't have witnesses from that highway that reported it, but even if they did see it, they may have either dismissed it, not reported it, or not even noticed it in the first place, you know? Yeah, because it's not like this was a uh, nighttime, you know? If it was nighttime, that'd be a different thing if it was uh, as bright as, uh, it, you know, if it was bright at all, I guess, you're right? Yeah. Because, you know, most UFO encounters tend to have, have that, you know, where the object is bright or illuminating some kind of light. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, this Who is knows, but, this is but, broad uh, daylight, yeah. yeah. I already thought it would be fun to go to Scotland, but now I want to take a tour, go see the Rocking Stone, Nessie, and the forest. Yeah, the the UFO forest. That's right. There's apparently a golf course right next to it nowadays, so And go golfing. We could go golfing, yeah, which, you know, we don't know how to do, but we could learn. I did read in one article the uh, the plaque that was put up there, I heard it was stolen. Ah. That's, and it's for sale on eBay. That sucks. Somebody's always got to go and ruin it. I have no way to confirm that, you know, but that I, it, it was in one of the articles that I read. So I don't know if it, I don't know if it's true or not. That's pretty much this case. And before we end, I got a got. I wanted to say, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I always wanted to say where you can report your UFO sightings because. I think that might be something our listeners might want to know about because I'm sure some of them have had UFO sightings of their own. So if you want to report a sighting, 
One of the places that most people know about is MUFON, M-U-F-O-N, that uh, I think Ether mentioned earlier. But actually, I don't like them as much because their database is stuck behind a paywall. So you cannot actually go look at their reports. And I kind of feel like you're giving them your data, your report for free, and they're not making that report publicly available. Now, I'm I'm okay if they have like they have like podcasts and they have, you know, television show productions and weekly or monthly publications or whatever it is. They have all kinds of stuff going on that I'm perfectly okay with them having that stuff behind a paywall. I'm fine with that. But the UFO reports that they get from just everyday people, I feel like those should not be behind a paywall. So another place, if if you care about that, you may not. If you don't care, go to MUFON. It's fine. I, I, won't, I won't hate on you. But another place where you can go report your UFO, and that report will be available to the public, is a place called New Fork, N-U-F-O-R-C, short for the National UFO Reporting Center. And you can go look up the reports. They actually have a ton, and they get more of them and more of them every single day. And depending on where you live, there may be a local uh, some sort of local organization as well. I saw a lot of, cause I just Googled to see, cause some sometimes these organizations, they kind of, they go by the wayside and they become defunct or whatever. So I just wanted to Google to make sure that no new fork was still around. And um, I started, I saw some like local, like, you know, like a Canada based one and one based in the UK and they collect reports like just for their region. So there's a bunch of them out there. And if you know, if you want one that's not one of the two I listed, then you can probably find one. All right, so that's what I had for those particular items. Before we wrap it up, does anybody got anything else to say about this case? Uh, no. Nah. And no, you see two strange aliens in the woods don't become the next deliverance. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, man. When was that movie Mike, made? I wonder if you'd just seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> And that that sort of helped his hallucination there. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by leaving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts and suggesting the show to your friends. Keep it strange.